0: The message the lord has asked me to share with you is entitled the open hand of god the open hand of god let's pray lord we come knowing that if your hand is not open to us there is no possibility of salvation and we have waited too long And all is lost. But you said today is the day of salvation. And so your hand is open today. I thank you for extending the merciful, gracious hand to us. Lord, let us not turn aside from it. But let us receive what you are giving to us. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Jesus has gone up secretly to the Feast of Tabernacles. And as he's there, he begins to sit down and people begin to crowd around and he begins to teach them. Now, the Jews were seeking Saying, Where is this man? He was on the lips of everyone. They were talking about him. They wondered if he would come. And when they saw him, they rushed to sit and and stand and listen as Jesus began to teach them. But they were a mixed multitude. They were confused. Some said, he is the Christ. And others said, he cannot be the Christ because he comes out of Nazareth. The Christ was to be born out of Bethlehem. This man did not come out of Bethlehem. There were some in the crowd who were so against him, they wanted to see the authorities come and arrest him and charge him with sedition and stone him to death. Now the problem we have in dealing with Jesus today is that there is still a great deal of confusion about who this Jesus is and where he comes from and what he's about. We have absolute certainty about our own reality, about who we are, about, yes, it's time to eat. I'm hungry. Let's go eat. We take care of our bodies. We take care of our our things, our stuff. Did any of you wake up this morning and carry all of your stuff out of your house and put it on the sidewalk out front because you weren't sure it belonged to you? And surely somebody would be coming and asking for it because it wasn't yours? I'm guessing none of you did that this morning. Have any of you taken your car and put it out on the street, and left the keys in the ignition with a sign on the window that says, I don't know who this belongs to, but whoever would like it is welcome to take it. No, I don't think any of you have done that today. Because we're sure about our own stuff. Like when I reached down into Arnie's bull, 150-pound Rottweiler. He gave me a mean look and I didn't stop. And then he growled. And then I stopped. We knew how to growl about what belongs to us. And we warn everybody, don't touch it. It's mine. But when it comes to Jesus, well, I'm not sure. What would it mean if I gave myself entirely to Jesus? Could I survive? Could I have a happy life? Maybe I should just walk in uncertainty without any strong feeling. Maybe I should be self-doubtful, which is really Jesus' doubtful. Or should I have strong confidence? Well, what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you know what's going to happen tomorrow? Do you know whether you'll have a stroke tonight, a heart attack tonight, Do you know whether you'll be alive tomorrow? No, I don't. But what do I know about tomorrow? I know that my tomorrow is held in the hand of Jesus. And I trust him with my tomorrow. So am I sure about tomorrow? Yes. I am sure about tomorrow. Am I sure about this new year? Yes. Because my new year is in the hands of Jesus Christ. I know who Jesus is. I trust him. So we come to John. The seventh chapter. I'm going to read portions today for you. Because I want you to get the flavor of what's happening. This is from the. Lavender translation of the New Testament, John, the 7th chapter. I'll begin reading with verse 25. John 7, verse 25. Now certain men out of Jerusalem were saying, Is it not this man whom they are seeking to kill? But look! He's speaking in public, and yet they're saying nothing to him. Perhaps the rulers truly know that this man really is the Messiah. But we know where this man is from. But when the Christ may come, no one knows where he is from. Jesus cried out in the temple, teaching and saying, You both know me, and you know where I am from, and yet I have not come from my come of myself, but of the one having sent me, whom you know not. I know him because I am from him, and that one sent me. Absolute clarity about who he is. He knows where he came from. He knows where he's going. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. So the Gospel of John, chapter 7, verse 30. Then they were seeking to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him, because his hour had not yet come. But many from among the multitude believed in him, and they were saying, when the Christ comes, he surely will not do more signs than these that this man did, will he? The Pharisees heard the multitude grumbling about him with reference to these things. And so the Pharisees and the chief priests sent officers that they might arrest him. Then Jesus said, I am with you yet a short time, but I am going away to the one having sent me. You will seek me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you are not able to come. Then the Jews said to one another, Where is this man about to go that we will not find him? Is he not about to go to the dispersion among the Greeks and teach the Greeks, is he? What is this word that he spoke? You will seek me, but you will not find me. And where I am, you are not able to come. You recognize those words are words of judgment that now the hand of God is extended to us. But the day is coming when the hand of God will no longer be extended to us. And if we have not fully entered in to receive from the hand of God what he would give to us, if we've not been brought to the face of God, he will no longer be available to us. Do you understand that all men and women come to a place where if they have not entered into Jesus Christ, the day will come when he will not be available to you. So don't mistake this time of probation right now and think that this will always be the case and you can always hang halfway in and halfway out. It will not be so. Now on the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus had stood and cried out, saying, If anyone may be thirsty, he must come to me and drink. The one believing in me, as the scripture says, out of his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But he said this concerning the spirit whom the ones believing on him were about to receive, for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. Jesus is now glorified, and now we need to have that flowing spirit coming out of us. That's why we're crying out for revival. And many from among the multitude, having heard the word, were saying, This is truly the prophet. Others were saying, This is the Christ, the Messiah. Others were saying, Now the Christ is not coming out of Galilee, is he? Has not the scripture said that the Christ comes out from the seed of David and from Bethlehem, the village where David was? So there was a division among the multitude because of him. Now some from among them were willing to arrest him, but no one laid a hand on him. I want you to see that Jesus is in reality dealing with a human heart. And he wants to deal today with our hearts. The officers came. This is John, the 7th chapter, verse 45 The officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees, and they said to them, Why did you not bring him? And the officers replied, A man never at any time so spoke as this man. And the Pharisees answered, You've not also been deceived, have you? Not anyone from among the rulers or from among the Pharisees believed in him, did they? But this multitude, the ones not knowing the law, they are cursed. Nicodemus says to them, the one having come to him by night, being one from among them, our law does not judge the man unless he may hear from him first and may know what he's doing, does it? And they answered and said to him, you're not also from Galilee, are you? You must search and see that a prophet has has not been raised up out of Galilee. And every man went away to his house. Well, every man went away with a little bit of information they had about Jesus. And the little bit of information they had shaped their beliefs. You know, it's interesting. As I talk with people. Everybody has their ideas. Everybody has their opinions. And they're very sure their opinion's right. Because it's based on the information that they believe. But if the information is false, then their understanding is false, and the resulting end will be separation from Jesus. But have you ever tried to convince somebody that what they believed was wrong? Well, why is it so hard? Because they have used that wrong information as a place of hiding so that they don't have to deal with the reality that they are going to die and face the judgment of God and be cast into the fires of hell. They don't want to think about that. So don't talk to me about what I don't believe, because what I believe is my binky, it's my blanky. it's what comforts me in my sin. Well, I know of no comfort in sin because it will soon be exposed to the light, and then every man will be judged according to what he has done. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, in other words, he's finished teaching for the day, he's tired. He doesn't go to the Holiday Inn. He goes to the Mount of Olives because that's where he's going to pray and he's going to sleep on the mountain. He's not going to get a shower, no bathtub up there. He's going to go to an olive grove called Gethsemane, a place of crushing. Jesus goes to the Mount of Olives. But early the next morning, he again heads to the temple. And all the people were coming and they were gathering around him and he sat down. Now, nothing in the book of John is accidental. John is setting us up To hear something of great importance. In that day. When a teacher wanted to say something very important. He sat down. Today. We stand up. And the people sit down. I like it the other way. You all should be standing and I should be sitting. But Jesus sits down. And he begins to teach them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees bring a woman to him, having been caught in adultery. This is the early hour. She has been rousted out of bed. Her hair is astray every direction. Have you seen a woman when she gets up out of bed in the morning and she hasn't smoothed her hair and it's going every which way? I have that pleasure. Sleep is still on this woman's face. She's wrapped in a robe. She's been caught and dragged out of the man's bed. The man was left alone. He was probably one of them. And wealthy. They stood this woman up in front of Jesus, and they said to him, Teacher, This woman was caught committing adultery in the very act. Now, in the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such a woman. So you, what do you say? Now, twice the word tempt is used here. In verse 4, they say to him, tempting him they say in verse 6 but they were saying this tempting him God cannot be tempted the devil has nothing that he can grab that he can use because God is righteous he is holy he is clean He cannot be tempted. I want to tell you that a man or woman who is walking whole in Jesus cannot be tempted. The devil will find no hold in that life. Oh, temptations will come. This temptation, a very sly and subtle temptation, came to God but it couldn't touch him. Temptation cannot touch us if we're hidden in Jesus. We need to understand that. If temptation touches us, we are not yet hidden totally in Jesus. They wanted Jesus to exercise the law and have this woman stoned to death. He is God. He's the one who spoke the Ten Commandments from Mount Sinai. So now, what is Jesus going to do? See, John 3, 17, says, Jesus did not come to condemn the world, but to redeem the world. Jesus, in this place, is not God the judge. He is God the Redeemer. He will not always be God the Redeemer. He will put on the the garments of judgment and he will exercise judgment on those who sin and they will be cast into the fire. But in this place, Jesus is not In the function of judgment. He's in the function of redemption. So Jesus bends over from where he's seated. Maybe he had to get up. And he begins to write in the dust on the ground. Just with his finger. The same finger that we're told in Exodus wrote the Ten Commandments on the tables of stone, says it was the finger of God that wrote those Ten Commandments. Now it's this same finger that now has reached down and is writing on the ground. As they were continuing, while questioning Him, having straightened up, He said to them, The sinless one of you, let him throw the stone at her first. And again, he having bent down, he was writing on the ground. Now the ones having heard and being convicted by conscience, convicted by conscience, were leaving one by one, having begun from the older one. And Jesus was left alone. Jesus right now is coming to us as the Redeemer, not as the Judge. And so He comes to us and He does not allow others to judge us either. And He doesn't call on us to judge ourselves. He calls on us to come before Him as the Redeemer God and to allow Him to redeem us from wickedness. But do not make the mistake of thinking that Jesus is always going to be the Redeemer God. He will be the Judge God who with fire from Mount Sinai casts thunderbolts. It's vital... For you today and for me to understand that that the moment we live in right now is not eternity. That it's a time and space place we are in. That right now in time and space the gracious hand of God is open to us for redemption. Redemption but that hand is going to be withdrawn for redemption and is going to be extended as the judge who will cast into hell. These men, it says, because their conscience smote them, left the day will come when a man's conscience will smite him and he won't be able to walk away because he will be bound hand and foot as the angels prepare to take him in his body like you have right now in your body to cast you into the fires of hell. Now this story of Jesus is not some romantic comedy. This story of Jesus is the story of the hand of grace and mercy being extended. But it is for a limited amount of time. And then the hand of judgment is extended. And it's a final judgment. Everyone has left. The woman now stands before him. I'm surprised she didn't turn screaming and run. She saw something in the face of Jesus that overwhelmed all of her fear, all of her shame, all of her embarrassment. And he said to her, where are those men, your accusers, is no one condemned you? And she answered, No one, Lord. She knew by how Jesus looked at her that Jesus was not condemning her. I want you to hear this. Jesus is not in the role of judgment and condemnation. He is in the role of redemption. When this woman looked at Jesus' face, she knew that Jesus had no judgment against her. He was not condemning her. His eyes were not piercing with fire. His eyes and his brow were not furrowed with anger. That will come under the judge. Not under the Redeemer. I don't know how to emphasize this enough, that Jesus is both Redeemer and Judge. And His persona is totally different in these two roles. One is merciful, kind, loving, non-judging. And the other is firm angry, condemning, exercising the strange act of God in final judgment upon your life that will be for eternity. So the problem is because now Jesus is in the role of the kind, the forgiving, the merciful Lord We think he will always be that way. And so we can spend our whole life with the hand of God outstretched. And then we die. And then we think when we come to in the judgment that we're going to see the same kind, loving Savior with his hand extended in mercy. And we're going to be shocked Because his hand will not be extended in mercy. It will be extended with a pointing finger. Bind that man hand and foot and cast him into the fire. I mean, we have to understand this is the same Christ. And we have this small window now of opportunity where the mercy of Christ is being extended to us And so we go like these Jewish people, wandering about the earth, arguing about this point or that point, talking about every foolish thing that we want to talk about, going to every foolish place we want to go to. Because, hey, what's to be concerned? Jesus loves me. This I know. The Bible tells me so. I'm saved. I'm on my way to heaven. Have I surrendered to Jesus yet? well, I'm doing it, I'm in the process, la, la, la. Suddenly our life is sn- snatched from us. And the next thing we see is the Christ. And there's no mercy. Every man is judged according to what he has done in the flesh. And you've wasted all your time with foolishness. You've not sought after the Christ. You've taken for granted His mercy and His kindness. You've taken for granted and spent your time and money on what you wanted to spend your time and money on. And now you stand before the judge of all the earth. And there's no mercy. There's no kindness. There's no softness. There's no forgiveness there is the dreaded reality of the angels binding you and you feel them binding your hands and you feel them binding your feet and picking you up and carrying you toward that open gate into the fire of hell and you are literally picked up and thrown like a bag of potatoes into that burning flame. I mean, come on, this is reality. What I'm describing for you, whether you believe it or not, is immaterial. This is what the scriptures say is going to happen. But Jesus loves me. He loves me unconditionally. What a dreadful mistake. What a dreadful mistake. She said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. But listen to the next sentence. You must go and stop sinning from now on. Why would he say such a thing? Because he knows that next time she sees him, he will be seated on the judgment seat. And next time, if she continued her adultery, she's going to be bound hand and foot and cast into hell. So right now, The loving hand of God is extended. Neither do I condemn you. You must go and stop sinning from now on. Stop sinning. Why would Jesus say that to her if it were not possible for her to obey? Jesus expected that she could go and stop sinning. Oh, but Jesus, I have all these urges. I just can't help myself. And this man loves me. Is he married to someone else? Yes. Oh, but he loves me, Jesus. How can I disappoint this man? He'll come and tempt me. He'll give me gifts. Then she's going to meet the judge of all the earth. And there will be no mercy. Jesus again spoke to them and he said, I am the light of the world. The one following me may by no means walk in the darkness, but will have the light of life. We'll have the light of life. Now I want to read another scripture for you. And with this, I'm going to close. It's found in the book of Colossians. I'll begin reading in the third chapter, verse 1. If then you were raised up with Christ, you must seek the things above where Christ is sitting at the right hand of God. You must set your mind upon things above, not upon the things of the earth. For you died, and your life has been hid with Christ in God. When Christ, our life, may be manifested, then also you will be manifested with Him in glory. Accordingly, you did volitionly, that is, voluntarily, Put to death your members that are upon the earth. Sexual immorality. Uncleanness. Lustful desires. Evil desires. Greed, which is idolatry. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming upon the sons of disobedience. In which you also walked at one time when you used to live in these things. But now you did volitionally, voluntarily, put off all of these things. Are you with me on Maul? All right. Anger, wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth you must not lie to one another having already put off the old man with its practices and having already put on the new man the one being renewed in true knowledge according to the image of the one having created him where there is not Gentile nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, foreigner, Scythian servant, free man, but Christ is all things and in all. And then he begins to speak about what this new man must dress in. Therefore you must put on, as chosen ones of God, holy and having been beloved, deep feelings of compassion, Kindness, humility, courtesy, patience toward others, bearing with one another, and freely favoring each other. If anyone may have a complaint against another, just as the Christ freely favored you, in this manner you also do. And above all these things, have love which is the bond of perfection. Now, if you read carefully the book of Galatians and Colossians, you will find that the old man, the flesh, the carnal nature, is utterly and totally removed when a man or woman is converted. Now, we've not seen that very much. Because most of us, when we were converted, held on to the old man. And so the old man was very much a part of us. So we changed the outward behavior, but the inward was still wicked. Conversion is meant to be a total putting off of the old and a putting on of the new. And please, I hope you can understand what I'm going to say. Much of that in the Christian life is a matter of maturity, growing in grace, but making no allowance for sin. Growing in grace. These things that I've just read to you, these are things that we actively... Participate in putting on, let me read them for you again. He identifies in verse chapter three, verse eight, the things we voluntarily put off anger, wrath, in other words, anger is a decision. I decide if I'm going to be angry or not. now, for many that's not a conscious decision. But it is yet a real decision and should become a totally conscious decision. Wrath, ill will, evil speaking, slander, obscene speech out of your mouth, lying to one another, saying, You put all that away. When you were converted, you put all of that away. And then you put on a new man, a new person, a new creature by the grace of God, supernatural work of God. Now, voluntarily, beginning in verse 12, put on deep feelings of compassion. How do I put on deep feelings of compassion? A man, somehow a young man, just in his early 20s, somehow found through a friend, Alexandra's Facebook, and he friended her, and a conversation began. He had a picture of of his cow that died of starvation, of lack of water. You understand, that was his wealth. Called by God to become a pastor. No church. So, what's he do? He goes out and stands under a tree and prays. I don't know, he may have even preached with nobody there. But pretty soon, villagers started coming. Now, he holds church under the tree. No church building. I thought about this man a lot in the last week. Deep feelings of compassion have begun to arise in my heart. And I'm saying, Alexandra, could we do a radio broadcast where we talk about this man? Maybe even where he calls in on a cell phone and we can interview him on air and invite people to contribute money to build a church in Africa, Kenya, so they don't meet under a tree. Maybe they can build a church under the tree. Well, how did those deep feelings of compassion begin to come into my heart? Well, it's very simple. I just thought about them. I began to pray about them. I began to feel the heat under the tree. I began to feel the emptiness of a a church that's not there. And all of that began to tie in with deep feelings of compassion for this young 24 year old man who's standing out under a tree, called to be a pastor. How can I help? When we begin to focus on something and we begin to fix our mind on the problem and we begin to feel with him what he's feeling, deep feelings of compassion begin to arise in our hearts. So compassion comes out of thinking about it, looking at it, considering it. No deep feelings of compassion if you're not thinking about the National Prayer Chapel and the people who've walked away and the slander and the lies. Compassion comes out of a decision we make. Deep feelings of compassion comes out of a decision that we make where we're going to focus our attention and our time. Kindness, humility, Courtesy. These all come out of the decision of the heart. They don't just appear, they come because we're choosing them. Now, I need to finish. I want you to stand perfect before God. I want you to be made complete in the will of God. I want Christ to dwell in you. That can happen now because His hand of mercy is extended to us. The hand of God is open to us. It is open to you right now. it will not always be open to you. So if there's anything of the old man remaining in your life, the hand of God is still extended to you. And you have a a short window of opportunity to say to him, I receive the mercy. Thank you that you're not looking upon me with condemnation. Thank you that you are not judging me and casting me into hell today. Would you utterly remove now from me this old man? Would you make me into a new creature, a new Jesus? And would you fill me with rivers of living water that will flow from me for the salvation of others? Because the day is coming and is soon upon us when the hand of God will no longer be open. Instead, it will be a finger pointing directly at you. And you will be judged according to what you have done in the flesh. Almighty God, the cry of my heart today is for your people. That this word of your hand being extended and open would not be misunderstood as permissiveness. That this open hand would not be misinterpreted as agreement with sin or allowance for sin. For you said to this woman, Go now and sin no more. Lord, thank you for your straight word. Let it now find its place in our hearts. In the name of Jesus, amen.